0: Good to see all of you here on this uh, February morning. We're cruising through the new year. Uh, We've got less, what, 14 days or so? We'll be done with February. So uh, moving right along. But uh, good to have all of you here. Um, we're going to go ahead and just, uh, and if you're visiting, um, welcome. We're in this discipleship series and we're kind of winding it down. We only have a couple of weeks left of it. Got extended by a tiny bit, uh, but not much. Uh, but we are just uh, really just focusing on what would Jesus have us to be and to grow in as disciples. And I hope, I hope it's uh, speaking to each of you in every one of the areas, and we've got one to cover today that um, is not always the one that everybody loves to focus on, but uh, it has to be because Jesus spoke much about it, and so we'll be talking about generosity today and what this really means in the life of a believer uh, but before that, we want to just uh, read the word together. So if you stand with me. I love we're singing, on Christ the solid rock I stand. Not only are, are you standing on a concrete slab right now, under this beautiful carpet of ours, which is staying with 8 million coffee stains, and uh, who knows what else, uh, because um, we do everything in here. This is our multi-purpose room, banquets, everything. Uh, but under this beautiful carpet is a concrete slab. But isn't it good to know we're standing on the solid rock of Jesus? He's not a concrete slab. He's the rock of ages. He's the cornerstone. I, have, I just love that we close with that kind of thought. Christ, the solid rock, I stand. I stand up here only because of him. You're standing only because of him. Other than that, we would fall and collapse in every way, right? Spiritually speaking and physically, we need Christ as our rock. And so we're going to read this morning. These are both related to uh, our uh, study this morning, as we've been doing each of these verses. Actually, both of them are related to a single topic today. But let's read the first one together. Uh, Proverbs 11, 5. Let's read together. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. You're thinking, I'm going to get rich? This is awesome! <laughs> Not exactly that, but. Uh, There's a richness God wants you to experience. God wants me to experience. The second one, Acts 20.35, you'll see the red-letter words of Jesus. um, And so let's read this together. I have shown you in every way, by laboring like this, that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he said, it is more blessed to give than Jesus. What an example Jesus was, and Paul following the example of Jesus. Amen? Amen. I've labored always in every way showing you this. So uh, we're going to pray together. Um, we continue to pray for revival. Last night I was watching, just a, uh, I watched a portion of uh, the 9-11, 102 minutes that changed America. And sometimes I'll watch stuff like this, and my wife's like, why would you watch that? You know, that well, it takes me back to the day I was in Cincinnati, Ohio. And the night before, I just knew that, I said, we're, we're doing something in this country. And it reminds me of why I'm called, because people are lost. Yes. Our nation needs revival. Yes. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of death. I was watching also uh, Friday night, uh, Ravi Zacharias and Abdul Murray there in the, at the University of Miami campus. And he was saying that, Uh, He saw a billboard in London that said, there is no God, so don't worry about things and just be happy or something like that. And he said, but how do you take that philosophy to a parent that just lost their two-year-old? Hey, don't worry about it. Just be happy. Hey, don't worry about it. There has to be a solution to all the pain, and it's Jesus. Amen? Amen. You can't carry a philosophy, eh, there's no, just, just live your life and enjoy it. But you can't enjoy it on a 9-11 type day, can you? You're like, there's got to be a reason for all this. If it's meaningless, then we should all just go ahead and drink ourselves into oblivion. But if it's not meaningless, then we have to turn to Jesus. And that's why we pray for revival, amen? Because people need the Lord. I need the Lord. And, then, and the next day, an atheist got stuck in the car with me for eight hours. Driving to Charlotte. I'm like, I'm your ride, dude. There's no rental cars, and I have one. And along the way, I found he's an atheist, and I got to witness for eight hours. So, yeah, that's the way it went. Uh, but God, again, God wants to get the gospel out, and He'll use the worst of times. Uh, but we need to be ready because we don't know when the next. You know, we weren't alive when, like, the massive earthquake hit San Francisco or the one that hit California, or uh, we weren't in Japan when a few years ago. We could see it from a distance. But we don't know what God has right around the corner, and we need to be ready. Amen? And we need to be revived personally so we're ready to be the hands and feet of Jesus. If something should happen, but before it happens, we already should be a light. I'm not waiting till then. I want to I be a light tomorrow. Amen. Even if everything goes great for the next 10 years, I want to be ready. But I don't believe that's the way it's going to go. I really believe God's, like, getting us ready. He was getting the disciples ready. for. He said, when I leave, you're going to have to be ready because it's going, to get, it's going to get tight. It's going to get tense. Amen? And they were ready. Paul's like, bring it. I'm in Jesus. Peter was the same way. John, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you this morning for the fact that we stand on Christ the solid rock. Lord, we know that you're a rock in a difficult time. Lord, these are, these are strange days, rebellious days, idolatrous days. And Lord, but you called us out of all these things. Lord, I was so lost until you found me. And Lord, I still need you desperately. Lord, we all do. Cleanse us and forgive us. Lord, even this week, we failed you a million times. But your grace is great. And you want to pour out grace on our nation. And you want to pour out grace on Calvary Chapel, Richmond, this church family. But we need a touch from you. We need you to open eyes. Lord, we're a long ways removed from 9-11. We've forgotten. The churches were packed the weeks after it. And now, Lord, church attendance continues to decline, decline, decline. Lord, we're trusting in our possessions and in the performance of Wall Street. And all these things, Lord, that could crumble in a second, Lord, help us to turn our eyes to you, to put our faith back in you. Lord, cleanse us and forgive us. Lord, turn the hearts of your people, turn our hearts back to you. We ask for an awakening, a refreshing. Lord, this morning, those of us that need your strength, you would touch us. Lord, there's people in here that desperately need to be healed to be refreshed, for relationships to be renewed. And Lord, we pray that you do that work. But Lord, it starts with us just humbling ourselves, so we do. I pray, Lord, uh, your hand of strength upon me and upon your people as we hear your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. (coughs) Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Verse 38, Luke 6, verse 38. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. Luke 6, 38. We have a command here from Jesus, all red letter. If you have a red letter Bible, these are all the words of Jesus Great, not a single word from man here, just right from our Savior. Luke 6, 38, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put in your bosom. With the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. That's either good news or bad news. Amen. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. Remove me that we would hear from you. I need to hear from you. Lord, every word I speak, Lord, is directed at myself if it comes from you. And Lord, we just need to grow as your disciples. Help us to be givers just like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Generosity and giving. Giving and generosity. They go together as seamless as prayer and thanksgiving. Why? Because one feeds and spurs the other, provided the heart motive is right, and it's prompted by a right response to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Because we have to have a right heart in giving, don't we? Jesus gave sacrificially of himself in response to the will of the Father and the same pattern follows with his disciples. We receive, so what? We can give. You parents were given life that you would give life to another generation. Right? We receive to give. We're like that, we're supposed to be like the Sea of Galilee, where the waters of the Jordan come in and the various springs that contribute come into the Sea of Galilee and they go straight back out. To irrigate the dry areas to the south. If you've ever been to Israel, it's very dry, south of the Sea of Galilee. The Dead Sea, on the other hand, is literally a dead end. It releases nothing. Fresh water flows in, but not out. It's like a clenched fist. That's the Dead Sea. But God has designed us to be what? Open-handed. Open-handed. Even the nail-pierced hands of Jesus, remember, they were stretched out open-handed. They're a testament to the giving of his own life. If you're taking notes this morning, Be Light, it's our generous giving in response to God. I planned on doing two, but I told you a couple weeks ago, I said... If I do it all over again, I would do one topic or one principle per week. And God and just kind of pressed upon me this week, why don't you? <laughs> well, because I already did eight. I, he's like, that, that was last week. <laughs> what verse told you to do two this coming week? I said, I don't have one. Then do one. I didn't tell you you had to keep doing it because you did two before. We can always grow, people. Every week. Don't live by the tyranny of tradition. Just say, Lord, what do you you want me to do? It felt like the Lord said, all right, do one. So next week we'll get to rest. Martin Luther, he said these words. He said, there are three conversions a person must experience. Conversion of the head, conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook said that in the 1500s. I think there's two additional ones today. I don't know if they're additional, but they are a much bigger problem today. I think we need a conversion of the clock and a conversion of our calendars. I really, de- I really believe that many people today, I've met people that have plenty of money and don't mind stroking a check, but say, hey, instead of the check, would you be willing to go pick so-and-so up at the airport? Uh, I, don't care. I don't have that kind of time. Would you be willing to go visit someone at the hospital? And probably stay an hour? No, get somebody else to do that. So we also have, God wants to reprioritize. Because our time doesn't belong to us. Our abilities don't belong to us. And our wallets don't belong to us. None of it belongs to us. But as disciples, we're called, we're called to run counter to the culture. Did you know that? We're to be different. We're to be set apart. For the sake of Christ, personally, and together as a church, people need to see that CCR is different. I'm not, not only better than other churches. I'm saying different than the world. Personally different, but also as a family. People say, hey, that's, that's different than my unsafe coworkers think. And it mostly will require us to pray. We've had a lot of emphasis on prayer. We're going to continue that. Uh, And that the Lord would help us show those areas of our lives that our priorities are out of whack. And why when we say, and we mean it a lot of times, we truly mean it. I'm I'm guilty of this as much as anybody when I say, I'm so busy. I literally am. And God's like, we're going to change that. We're going to get this right. I'm going to show you a man in, in a few minutes that I guarantee has gotten more done than probably all of us in this room combined and I, I think more and more later, we're going to get to this next week with rest, too, so I hope you'll be here. Because rest plays a role in it. But, um, you know, Jesus was never running like a madman around. And yet he gave more than anybody. Like, how do we, Lord, how do we get this? And I really believe God says, I want to get your wallet, your clock, and your calendar all fixed. Because if we do, we're going to reach a lot of people for Jesus. We're going to be more at peace. We're going to be filled with more joy. So we'll get to some of that next week with rest, but, but it also requires God saying, I've got to get a hold of what you think you possess. You think you possess money. You think you possess time. You think you possess all these great skills, and you don't, and I don't. God says, you bring nothing to the table. So I want to have you reorient it, reorganize it, restructure it according to the will of God the Word of God, and the Spirit of God. It most definitely will require prayer. And it's going to require some priority changes so our time, talent, and treasure is aligned to the will of God. But let's uh, look at today's we statements this morning. And I'm I'm showing you next week's too, just so you come back next week. So uh, (laughs) so you know that (laughs) we... Because a lot of people tell me they're wiped out, so you need the message on rest. So I hope that you'll be here for it. This is what we're going to go for. But today, we give generously of all God has given us. We believe that Jesus, giving his very life, is the basis for our giving back to him. We see that throughout the scriptures, the Lord has called his people to give generously to him through tithes, offerings, missions, and those in need. So we trust that God will bless our faith and generosity in the work of the gospel will be strengthened and multiplied. We want an exponential work, don't we? We want God to take those fish and loaves and all of a sudden feed thousands. Next week, we'll look at rest. We embrace the gift and need of scriptural rest. We believe that from the beginning, God instructed the importance of rest and being refreshed in mind, body, and spirit. So we are resolved to serve well, but also rest well both personally and in specific ministry areas that we might be regularly replenished for the long-term work of Christ. Uh, I I turned 51 a couple weeks back. I'm working today that I would be doing this at 81. I'm here for the long haul. How about you? So what you do today with your time, talent, and treasure and then next week, rest, is so that we are able to be there down the road should the Lord allow us to be here. I mean, God may call you home, me home. That's up to Him, but we prepare For today, tomorrow, and the long term. And we're going to look at that again as it relates to generosity this morning. Let's take a look at this. When you think about giving to God and by the will of God to others, what does this include? Well, it includes obedience to his word. Would you agree with that? It includes obedience. It's found in the Old Testament, it's found in the New Testament, it's found in Proverbs, it's found in Psalms, it's found in the first five books of the Bible under the law. Giving and generosity are all through the Scriptures. Commanded. It, it requires faith. Because first thing we think about is, if I give this, what about me? How am I going to survive? Right? It requires faith. It requires... Gratitude, doesn't it? It's so much, it is so much easier to give to God when you're thankful to God. Amen? People mad at God are not going to give to God. Have you ever seen people that shake their fist at God? I've met people that are really bitter and angry. Well, God took my child years ago, and, I, and I've, I've lost two sisters. I, I've, you know, my parents have lost daughters. I, I've met many people that have had, but God still loves, and is gracious. And so you have to respond to who God is, not who you think God is. Amen. Who he actually says he is. But people that are bitter towards God, I'm not giving God anymore because he didn't do this for me. But if you're, if you're thankful towards God, it's much, much a more natural response to give back to God. So gratitude plays a role. And it requires a growing care for other people, doesn't it? Paul talked about the weak there. He cared about the weak. We bear with the weak. And guess what? We is the weak. (laughs) All of us. As soon as you remember, oh, I should bear with weak people because I'm one of them. It really helps. And all these things, they need to be acted on. They can't just be theoretical. We've got to take the steps. We have to take the steps in these areas and act on them. They have to be Cultivated. Got to get your hands dirty when it comes to, Lord, I need to pray about these. I need to do things that are a little uncomfortable. Or we'll just continually think about ourselves instead of the Lord and instead of others. We'll be very self focused rather than looking up in worship and out in compassion. This is general up to God in worship, out in compassion. But you know, in the Greek, the word give. It means to offer. That's what it means in the gift. Or it means to place before. So you would give. Say, I'm I'm giving to God as an offering. I'm giving to others as an offering to Him. We all know John three sixteen, don't we? Everybody knows that. Even NFL fans know this. You know, because it's a, well. It needs to be written out because some of them may not know it anymore. But it used to be Americans knew that verse. But we know that God so loved that He gave. He gave. The character and nature of God is to give. And the nature is placed within us via salvation. Uh, Before I got saved, I was very focused on me. I I still am way too focused on me. And so are you, even after salvation. But before I got saved, I didn't care about people that had nothing. That was their problem. And the way I figured it, it was probably something they did. And I got saved, and you have compassion. You start to think about other people. But God places within us with salvation the presence of his Holy Spirit. That means the nature of God is put in us. Isn't that great? We have a new nature, a changed nature. But again, discipleship, it still has to be applied and cultivated, applied and cultivated. That's why we've been going meticulously through, so far, 10 things. is our 11th Principle. And all the other ten are important, too. Someone once said, you are never more like God than when you give. Because God is the greatest giver, and we're following in his footsteps. It's a reflection. If you want people to see Christ in you, be generous. Be a giver. Let people see that. But not to be seen. If you're doing it to be seen, that's, that's pride. That's pride. It should, it should be a natural flow. saying. And many times, they wouldn't know. The Bible says, not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Right. I mentioned um, someone that probably had done more than all of us in this room combined. I really believe it was just to his yieldedness. You guys have probably heard of George Mueller. Some of you have heard of George Mueller. Some of you may not be that familiar with him. This is, both, this is back when kids, they didn't have iPhones back then, and there was no color f- photography. So this is what you got. <laughs> you had some guy that would put like a, a blanket over, and there would, a fireball would go out of it and smoke, and then you'd get a picture like this. <laughs> but George Mueller, in the 1800s, born in 1805, just, you know, t- times of was born in the times of Thomas Jefferson, and then he dies almost near, uh, near the turn of the century. Contemporary men like Cornelius Vanderbilt and the early you know, tycoons, but he went a different path of amassing a personal fortune like the tycoons, the industrialists, in the late 1800s, the mid-1800s. As you can see, he was a missionary, a pastor, an evangelist, an orphanage founder, and an author. He was born in Germany in 1805, came to Christ in his early 20s, giving up his former lifestyle of drinking and gambling and partying, much like many of our lives. I got saved in college. That was my, well, not the gambling part, but the, the other, all the rest of it. Um, but within three or four years of his conversion, he ended up going to London. He studied and learned Hebrew. And he went to London to bring the gospel to the Jewish communities of London, the unsaved Jewish community. He was, wanted to reach them, and he was now fluent in Hebrew. But through a series of health collapses and circumstances, God ultimately led him away from London to work, uh, so away from being a missionary, to serve as a pastor in Bristol, England, which he would then do for the remainder of his life. He never stopped being a pastor, but... The constant sight when he got to Bristol, the constant sight, and he saw it all over London too, the constant sight of street children dying of disease, poor, starvation throughout London and throughout all of England, it weighed heavy on his heart. And along with his wife Mary, who he married in 1830, they modified their rented home to accommodate 30 homeless orphan girls. 30 in their own home, just the two of them. It was just the start of many miracles in his life. Many miracles. By the end of his life, he had helped care for 10,000-plus orphans. 10,000-plus. It started with 30. Not only meeting their physical needs, but leading many, in fact, most of them, to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. That That was the key. He always preached Christ. Mueller did all this work while continuing to preach weekly. I don't know how he did it. Well, I do know. I know it was God. The more yielded you are, the more power God releases. He continued to preach weekly. He refused a salary. Would not take a salary. And the ministry was never in debt. Not a single time. He could have been wealthy. After not refusing a salary, people saw so much power of God that people wanted to give to it. And eventually, he could have lived like the dudes on the preach, preacher guys on TV. <laughs> but he refused. He gave almost all of it away, like 95% he would just give away, staying in a very modest, humble, again, what he would give himself, just, just basic stuff. By 1880, in addition to the work with orphans, he, he had by then established 72 day schools, serving 7,000 students in England. Italy, Spain, South America get this for you young at heart and uh, senior class guys at the age of 70 he returned to missionary work and evangelism global evangelism visiting 42 countries over the next 17 years preaching from 70 to 87 all before air travel how does he do all this? preaching to 3 million people, preaching approximately once every day for 17 years. Wow. Now, given that he learned to speak six languages fluently, in many cases, no interpreter was needed. He's like, I got this. (laughs) But you're 78. I know, but I also speak Spanish. I speak Italian. I speak Hebrew. What you got? French? (laughs) He spoke all those. By the way, how ironic. It took a man from Germany who was not English, not British, took a man from Germany to come to England and see the vision of God to save all these starving English kids that the English Christians weren't seeing. Sounds like America, doesn't it? I meet people from, like, India, and I meet people from Africa that have more of a compassion for people hurting here than I meet Americans that have grown up here their whole life, and are Christians like... And I, I'd love to help, but I just don't have the time. Well, what else are you doing? Well, I got three movies to watch this week, so I'd love to help, but i I got big fish to fry here, you know. You... But he had the vision. He saw these orphans starving, dying, freezing on the streets. Many children in England were in prison under the age of ten. Common for eight-year-olds, they didn't know what to do, and they just throw them in prison. Thousands of Christians were in England already, but none of them saw the need to that extent. I mean, there were a few orphanages, don't get me wrong, but none of them saw the need like he saw the need. He was a Nehemiah. He saw the much wider need. And another thing, sometimes people give Germany a hard time, and with, I understand, but the same Germany that gave rise to Adolf Hitler, who he chose Satan, that same Germany also gave rise to Martin Luther, George Mueller, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Three really fathers of the faith. So, brother and sister, it's who we choose what God will do. You you can go broad road of destruction like Adolf Hitler did and kill a bunch of people, or you can go the broad, the narrow road and save a bunch of people. Amen? What an irony. Same country. But George Bueller, he had tremendous faith. He was most known for his faith. If you read books, lots of books about his faith. Most known for his faith. But it was fueled by a life of prayer and walking with God and talking. He was always praying. As a matter of fact, throughout the day, he'd have his Bible there, and all throughout the day, if he encountered any kind of anxiousness or this, that, and the other, or how's this going to, he'd just open his Bible and read another verse. Stop and pray. It was the nearness of God that fortified his faith, but it was also a conduit for him being such a generous giver because if God's a giver, he makes his men and women givers. He didn't have money. He mostly gave of his time and his energy. But once he did, money did flood in, and that he pushed out. It came through just like the Sea of Galilee, and he pushed it straight back out. That's how he worked. That's how he operated. God multiplied everything. But just think what's possible. He was one man. Just think what's possible in this room if we even just had a tenth per person of that type of yieldedness, that type of generosity, that type of conduit of a flow-through. What could God do? I mean, he was no more capable than us. As James writes, Elijah was a man just like us. We kind of look, well, there used I could never do that. How do you know? We might have a, a college-age guy sitting in the back that could be the next George Mueller or a college-age girl that you know God wants to be the next Amy Carmichael or Elizabeth Elliot. Or, you know. I don't know. I just know it takes a yieldedness. Frederick Bushner said this. He said, the world says the more you take, the more you have. Christ says the more you give, the more you are. God wants to make us something. I'm not a self-made man, and neither are you. We want to be a Christ-made man and woman. Self-made men are like the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers. And they go by the wayside. But God-made men have an eternal. They're laying up treasures where? In heaven, where it doesn't corrupt. Giving is dying to our grip. Giving is dying to our grip. It's part of that inward work, conforming us to Jesus. Jesus did he said, thy will be done. But it's also done, it's to learn to be done joyfully. So what? Because we do it joyfully that we can be usable. George Mueller could not minister to kids if he was begrudging. I can't stand I have to give all this time to you brats. Imagine. I work tirelessly, this money comes in, I have to put food on y'all's table. But if he says, what a blessing that all these kids are being redeemed and fed, and total different attitude means everything. John Bunyan, another hero of the faith, wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He says, there was a man and some did count him mad. The more he cast away, the more he had. Simple words. And again, it's not, God isn't just talking about finances. Again, I think some, for some people, finances are, are the easy thing. In this room, some of you, finances will be the easiest thing. Most of you won't be. Most of you, it'll be hard. Most of you probably are not way ahead and able, hey, I, I can do anything I want. But there's a few people where the money might be the easy part, but the time, the giving of ourselves, it's all, again, that Greek word, Offering, releasing it to God. See, Lord, you have all of me. Whatever you want to do, my time, my hours. Uh, But I was so inspired. I've read George Mueller. I had forgotten something. I was like, hold on. I just turned 51. I can do this till I'm 87 or maybe 92. He actually preached. He led a prayer meeting the night before he died. He led a prayer meeting the night before he died at 92. And he went home, went to bed, never woke up. Well, he did. He woke up with Jesus. So I was like, we need to stop thinking that we, we, I, I've hit this cap. I can only do... You know, no, no, no. God says, who told you you were capped? He said, all things are possible. This applies to everything, though. Givers gain what money and selfishness can't attain. Givers gain what money and selfishness can't attain. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, This I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. But he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. That's everything. That's just giving of yourself. Lord, all I've got. I'm yours, Lord. Everything i got, everything I am, everything I'm not. You know that song? Just giving it all. Say, Lord, whatever you want to use, whether it's in the pocketbook, whether it's in this very not-so-bright head of mine, whatever you got, Lord, use it. To back to our verse in Luke 6.38. That we read again. These are the words of Jesus. Um, this verse, in context, some of you Bible scholars say, "Hey, you know, hey Pastor Tim, you, you know that the context of that was not actually about money." Yes, I'm aware of that. <laughs> it's not the only. It, money is, uh, if you read all the scholars, they all agree that it absolutely applies to money as well, because Jesus was hitting multiple targets with one arrow. Amen. The context was that if you give of yourself, and this will include you give forgi- forgiveness, is actually in the passage. Some of you in this room have yet to give forgiveness to somebody, and God says, If you won't give them forgiveness, I'm going to withhold blessing from your life. Period. Case closed. He said, Until you're willing to forgive them, I will withhold blessing from your life. Some of you, God says, I've asked you to give time, and you say, I don't have, God, I will give you some fragments. And God says, you give me fragments of time, I'll make sure you never have time. Some of it is money. Some of it is, God said, I want you to use these gifts and talents. Well, I don't want to use them because I'm afraid. God says, all right, afraid servants bury their talent. That's a problem. It doesn't matter what the context is. Anyone that studied this passage knows that it hits, you name the topic, Jesus was talking about it. So it absolutely applies to money, even though that was not the primary context. The primary context was to give all of ourselves. The the whole mindset of take up your cross and follow. So that means if somebody uh, doesn't deserve forgiveness, we realize, well, we don't deserve it either. So I'll give it anyway because Jesus gave me forgiveness, and I certainly didn't deserve it. And So it's everything. It's about about a giving heart. Jesus spoke often of stewardship, what he's entrusted with us. And again, we, we don't get... But so many things entrusted with us. We're entrusted with the breath in our lungs. We're entrusted with our time. We're entrusted with our talents. And if we have any treasure at all, you say, well, I only have a few bucks. Again, Jesus didn't care about the amount. The kid with the little fish and loaves, he was entrusted with a few fish and loaves. Jesus made it into much, right? The woman with the mite, he says she gave more than everybody else. She did what she could with what she had. She did more than most anyone does. But one-sixth of the gospel, Jesus speaks of stewardship, and one-third of the parables are about stewardship and, and really kind of uh, what we cling to. And, and the issue is all these things are directly connected to we have so much that we are concerned with as it relates to our time. We want security, and we want the pursuit of peace. We even have it in our founding documents. The pursuit of happiness. That's not a passage in Scripture. hate to burst your American bubble on that. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's, I'm thankful for happiness, aren't you? But it, I didn't say pursue happiness. He said pursue holiness. And when you pursue holiness, then happiness is a byproduct. But you don't pursue happiness. If you pursue happiness, you actually can get depression and anxiety because you're, you're on a treadmill to find it. Whereas opposed to Jesus, you receive, you pursue the holiness of God, and then he gives these other things. So don't make a pursuit of those things. Again, the more we give out, he who waters others will be what? Watered by the Lord himself. But all of these things are mentioned so often in scripture. Um, by the way, If Jesus were to ask you personally, he would come visit you this week and say, how are you doing as far as generosity, giving back to me, giving to others? If Jesus would ask you, how are you doing? Let's do a report card. How would you do with that review? I'll tell you how I would do. I think Jesus would say, you're being faithful, but it's time to grow again. That's what I I I believe you tell me. You're being faithful, but it's time to grow again. It's time to take... uh, more steps of faith, become even more compassionate, become more like me. We're always being, again, conformed. to I'm not talking about him beating you up. I'm saying, let's let's be realistic. God would look and say, where are you really at? You have to take that inventory. John Cortines and Gregory Baumer, who wrote the book, uh, God and Money, two Harvard MBA grads that were born again and while they were at Harvard, uh, they recognized that so much of their dreams were the American culture but not found in the scriptures. As they were studying the scriptures, like, our, our, our priorities are way out of whack. They both wanted to be millionaires. Today they give vast, almost most of what they earn away. They keep a, a, you know, a healthy amount for you know, whatever needs to be done and plus extra to do the work of God. Um, but they found uh, when they did the research, less, um, the non-religious American gives less than 3% of their income to charity. This would be non-religious, agnostic, atheists, just, you know, they don't know what they believe. They just want to watch Sports Center and go to work and whatever. Non-religious Americans give less than 3% of their income to charity. Religious Americans of all faiths kind of combined give about less than 3% of their income to charity. People that name their name, people that say they're a Christian give less than 3% because the name Christian is kind of meaningless, a lot of them, if you're not born again, you're not actually a Christian. But you, you think you are, because, well, I was a Lutheran, and my grandpappy was a Lutheran, and so therefore I'm a Christian, and you know, that, that's the way it works. Uh, but not. They give less than 3%. Then we find people that are, say they're born again, and are regular churchgoers, they give between 5 and 8% to the Lord. 5 and 8%. Even that group fails to meet the minimum of Scripture saying, all the way back well before the law, a tenth goes to the Lord, and just as a response to God. And there's a paradox in giving. I mentioned that saying, there's a paradox in giving, and let's take a look at it. The reward is always in the releasing. You have to give to God to receive the, the things that God wants to bless in our lives, and Why? Because this paradox of giving, giving aligns us to the heart of God. God gave, so we respond. If if God's a giver and we're not, then our hearts aren't aligned. And number two, giving allows allows us to be further used of God. The reason George Mueller, the reason God expanded his capacity is because he was so aligned with God, it allowed him to be used. Other people could have been used similarly. Other people could be. You know, um, when, uh, Esther, uh, when Mordecai came to Esther, he's like, if you don't do this, God will raise somebody else up. Yeah. Isn't that great to know? It's that, great for me to know. God tells me, I can replace you any second. You are so replaceable. <laughs> you are so easily replaceable. And This is God speaking to me, but I, love, but, but I love you, and I'm not trying. I want you to make sure you realize you just are an empty vessel that can be poured in. And so it, it expands our usability for the Lord. And then lastly, uh, giving opens up the door to the blessings of God. I really do believe God, the more generous we are as a church body, the more he will use us. And we'll look back and say, Wow, look at this person that came to Christ. Look at this work that was done. Look at these people that have been reached, but not for our own glory. As a matter of fact, I don't care if we ever get any notoriety. The less notoriety we get, the better. Because we're going to meet people in heaven that we never heard of, that God said, I did volumes through them, and you didn't know who, you didn't know who they were. Let's close this morning by looking at some of the specific discipleship reasons we give um, and as I've been doing, I've had these lists of 12. They're not an exhaustive list. They're not meant to be totally comprehensive, but they are things that, that uh, we can all look to, and so we'll kind of close with this list and hit on some of them. I can't go through every single one in detail, but uh, first of all, I've mentioned it a couple of times already, number one, God, uh, God gave first. He gave breath. Remember, he breathed life into the nostrils of Adam. Does Adam have life if God doesn't give him life? No, I didn't choose to be born February 1st, 1969. God gave me life on that day. Then he gave me eternal life, June 1995. That's the better gift I got, was the gift of eternal life. So God gave his son, Jesus, which we talked about. Now, Jesus, he gave himself. There in the garden is where he availed himself. He said, thy will be done. He gave himself and ultimately he said, no one took my life, I what? Laid it down. God's not going to come and, and send someone to rob your bank account. He's going to say, I want you to be like Mueller and willingly say, Lord, I want to do this. I don't need to have... Um, well, I'll get to that in a second. Just, uh, number three, he knits our hearts to God. Again, we, uh, our attitude follows when we, when we say, that's the character of God, I want to following the character of God, it starts to change us. We just start saying, again, if God inhabits praise, I'm just, I don't understand how this works. I'm going to start, we talked about this with worship, right? I'm going to start praising God. I don't know how this works. I promise you, you start praising God, it'll change you. You can't change God, but he'll change you and me. So our attitude, follows, uh, our attitude follows the giving. Now, Jesus said this. This is an amazing thing that Jesus said. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, this is an amazing thing. Jesus says, you have to give first, then your heart will want to. <laughs> Why is this so true? Well, that's just faith. If God says, do this, so, Lord, I don't understand this. I kind of don't really want to do this. My hand is shaking. But I'm going to do it. And God says, when you put the treasure where it's supposed to go, your heart will slide in that direction. But if you don't, your heart will stay cold. So so Mueller said, I don't know how we're going to do 30 girls. but We're just going to do it. His heart expanded. You know? You remember that? Christmas movie, the Grinch, member his heart goes. It grows a size bigger. It grows. Well, God continues to do that. Never thought you'd get that analogy out of you know. But uh, anything's possible. Anything's possible. Um, Number four, uh, it compels and increases our gratitude. Um, When we give to God, we actually become more thankful. It's a spiritual work. It's He says, out of you will flow rivers. How can it flow when there's no no source in us? Because God's the source. The gratitude, the more we thank God, the more thankful we become. It's an amazing thing. It, It becomes exponential. We start thanking God, and we start wanting to thank God. And we start thanking God. You can get to the place that you're actually thanking God for trials. All of a sudden, all things give thanks. You can get to that place, and so the gratitude grows. God loves a cheerful giver, and I've heard people, I've had pastors, I've heard pastors say this, um, and uh, it's in Second Corinthians where it says, uh, "Do not give grudgingly, begrudgingly, or out of compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver." The verse also says, "Give as you purpose, not what you purpose, but as you purpose." And the whole point of the text, if you read it, the whole thing in context, God is not saying. And ha- you, know how we, you know how we interpret Scripture? With other Scripture. Take, for example, Jesus in Matthew 25, he gives a talents out. One guy says, I'm going to take my little gold brick and bury it in the ground. What does Jesus say at the end of it? He says, take that wicked, lazy servant, cast him into So that is not a good endorsement for saying... Lord, I read that verse and I couldn't give cheerfully so I decided not to give. How could you possibly doctrinally come up with that theory that what God was saying is if you can't give cheerfully, just don't give at all. It is true to say that if you're not giving cheerfully, God's not blessing it. That is true. That if you're going to have a bad attitude and keep giving, then you're stunting the blessing of it. And that is true. But God's never told me Because almost every step of faith you have to take, it doesn't matter what it is, God wants me to witness this person. Well, I don't feel like witnessing to them. So, Lord, I didn't feel like it, so I decided not to. Because I couldn't do it cheerfully, I decided not to do it. You can't apply this to anything. Everything requires your knees knocking a little bit and saying, Lord, if you said to do this, I'm going to believe by faith you're going to bless it and I'm going to do this. I'm going to put a smile on my face because I'm going to choose to be cheerful. Does that make sense? You parents have told your kids this eight million times when they were a kid. Here's how they're going to school bus. Well, if you're like that, your whole day is going to be a nightmare, right? You're telling them, you're trying to explain to them that everything, it's going to make it harder. You're not going to be able to listen. You're going to be mad. You're You're going to be more afraid, all this stuff. But if you decide, I'm going to put a smile on my face, I'm going to stand up straight, that's the same way God is saying. He said, I love a cheerful giver. Are you just going to believe me or not? And say, I'm going to do this, Lord, and I want to see... Just If you have to think in these terms, that what I'm doing is going to save little street children like Mueller thought, if I give my life, people's lives will be touched. But God will be pleased. And so it increases... It increases our gratitude to do it cheerfully, which which requires faith. It, it demonstrates and it increases our faith. The more you do these things, uh, you know. I remember uh, no one had to convince me to tithe. No no one beat me up about it. Matter of fact, for the first several years, I did not tithe. Uh, me and my wife didn't. Uh, all of a sudden, I started reading the Bible, and I would just see things in the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. I, I went back. And I still have that Bible, and I highlighted things, and I realized that God was telling me this is a must. It's for the mature. It's not a New Testament mandate, by the way, but it is a maturity of a disciple. And I find it in the Old Testament for sure, but also in the New Testament, I believe it's, it, there's no verse that ever takes it away. There's no verse that eradicates it. There's no verse that takes it out of the, uh, out of the equation. But, and if anything, Jesus extends and says, I want you to be way more beyond that. that you're not even like, really all that worked up about 10%. To the Lord, you say, "Wow, Lord, that's the least." And so you grow in that. And you grow in that. No one beat me up about it. I did hear some messages. I'll never forget. To listen to Dr. Tony Evans. I'm riding down the road to my college class, and then he was talking about people in this church having financial problems. He goes, you better start giving. You know, he's just telling them. You know, that's the way it works. And I don't. I don't live. To, I, we don't at this church. We don't even pass an offering plate. I'm not. I'm, I hardly ever. Matter of fact, if anything, I could be and I have to be careful that the Lord could hold me accountable for not addressing this enough because I'm on the other end of this. I hardly ever bring it up. And to the point where God's like, no, no, no. I spoke about it one out of six times, so you can't because Americans so hate this topic now, just ignore it. God's like, I don't care if they like it or don't like it. They need to grow and they need to be cheerful and be joyful in this so that more of the kingdom of God takes place. And so all of these things to say it is a bit scary to take these steps of faith, but God will give you the grace. Amen? Amen. He'll give you the grace. I mean, you can take these steps of faith. God will be faithful. Uh, Number six, these things supply the kingdom work. Again, if people did not give to the ministry that George Mueller, then 10,000 kids wouldn't be reached. You're stuck at 30. Who wants to be stuck at 30 kids reached? Yeah, I think we can cap it out there. You know, that's about good. 30 girls is a good number. It's a good round number, it's an even number. Let's, let's stick with 30. Someone else comes along and says, What about 100? God says, What about 10,000? It says applies the kingdom. But it sends forth the gospel. You know, we've got missionaries that we support here in this church. I mean, I want to, I want to support more someday, I want to see more go out. So we've got people in this that I know are called to go, that are, have already told me I feel called to go, and we want to be able to someday send, send them out. Um, and at 70, I'll get sent out, so I'm looking forward to that too. So uh, possible. Um, Foster's uh, compassion, compare. And By the way, uh, uh, w- number eight is a witness to the world. Um, I'll get back to number nine in a second. Uh, the priest versus the Levite, which one was a witness to the world? The priest, he wouldn't give time or money. The priests were really well paid in those days. So don't think that this was some guy that was just scraping by. He had the financial means and he had the time and wouldn't give either. Is that the kind of minister you want to sit under? That was the priest. Then comes a Samaritan who's not a minister and he unsaddles his donkey. He ministers both time, which is a precious commodity, and the material needs, and so which one was a witness to the world? Jesus said, which one was really his neighbor? Well, obviously, we know. It was the Samaritan. Um, it fosters compassion to care. Uh, we, when we start to give to the things of God, we start to see the needs that God sees. Amen? You'll start to see. Wow. Wow. I didn't realize there was this much need in single mothers. I didn't realize that there's this much need in young people. I didn't realize this much need on college campuses. I didn't realize there was this much need in reaching Muslims for Christ. I didn't realize this much need in reaching Hindus. I didn't realize this much need. It's always been there, but we're blind to it because we're focused on our own things, and Jesus broadens our vision. We start to have open hands, we get open eyes. With open hands come open eyes. It fosters compassion, and care. Number ten, it meets needs and brings help, literally, tangibly. To going back to the Mueller thing, it wasn't just theoretical. Literally, ten thousand were helped. Literally, people were touched. Lives really lifted it up. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing, uh, and Paul witnessed it. We see it in the book of Acts. Uh, number eleven. Well, ultimately, it's commanded. We're all going to have to stand before Jesus and we're all going to give an account. He's going to say, I know every minute I gave you, every second I gave you, every penny I gave you, every loaf of bread I gave you, every gift card I gave you, everything, I know it all. Let's take an inventory, shall we? I'm going to have this one-on-one with Jesus. If you're saved, you're going to have this one-on-one with Jesus. And he is watching us in love This whole discipleship series is love because God says, "Look, I just I want you to be aligned with my son, conform to my son, walking in the footsteps of my son." Jesus is watching Matthew twenty-five. It's such a sobering thing. If you haven't read Matthew twenty-five in a while, read it. That's the parable of the talents, but it's also uh, the same parable where Jesus talks about that people will say, "Lord, when did we see you naked?" and Uh, And thirsty and in prison. And he says, much as you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it unto what? Me. The others are are judged and they say, well, we didn't didn't see you at all. And Jesus said, you didn't see them, therefore you didn't see me. And they're cast out. We cannot have that kind of heart. That's the heartless condition of the world. We're not to have the heartless condition of the world. We're not to be like the world. We're to be set apart. We're to be different. Jesus is watching. I don't feel Petrified that Jesus is watching me. I feel strengthened that Jesus is watching me because he loves me enough to say, It's time to grow a little bit again. It's time to mature. Jesus is like a coach that you have a healthy fear of, but you wouldn't want anyone else coaching you. Right, right. Amen? Does that make sense for you guys that like sports? He's the one you have a healthy respect for, that you better know the playbook, but you also, he has your back like nobody's business. Amen? Amen. And so that's what you've got to understand. When he's watching, he's commanding. He's the commanding officer. He's the admiral of the ship. And he's saying, all right, make sure you're on watch, doing what you're supposed to be doing. That's also in Matthew 25 too. Uh, verse 12, I mean, not verse 12, final 12 uh, item here. God blesses and provides for us. Ultimately, uh, I, you know, no one beat us up about tithing. When I, we started tithing, we were $80,000 in debt. No one, we didn't tell anybody about it. Our in-laws didn't know. No, I don't think anyone, we just kind of like, we had college loans, upside down car loans, all this stuff. And God says, because you were faithful, he turned it all up like five years, it was all gone. And we've never had that, I mean, took a huge step of faith in 2012 to leave corporate America, past this church. Uh, I I was like shaking like a leaf for three years that no one knew but me. And God's like, why are you so concerned about this? I have this. Right. You know, George Mueller and D.L. Moody and, you know, Charles Spurge and all these guys, and they, they were just dudes like you that just believe. And by the way, my faith is really, really tiny. But I'm here to tell you, God rewards tiny faith. Yes, if you would be willing to just invest tiny faith and more tiny faith and more tiny faith, you get massive oak trees from tiny acorns. Isn't that true? And so God's like, it's just, keep taking it, and he'll bless it. He, he will use it. God promises and even challenges us in the book of Malachi to take the test, to say, well, do you believe me? And like I said, I don't, I don't even teach on this that often. It's slotted number 11 in our list of 12, but the Lord says, no, we, it needs to be taught. Nehemiah understood it. Moses understood it. Paul understood it. Jesus understood it. Because God... Requires. By the way, God is not fixated on money. We are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the whole issue. God says you trust in stuff you didn't. It's just paper that's made of a tree pressed into, and the treasury stamps it. You're trusting in something that's made of molecules. God says, I'm not made of molecules. Right. I'm spirit. And so you're trusting the wrong thing. So God has us take these steps of faith because we're the one fixated on it. We're the ones that trust in the wrong things. And God says, I have to reorient your thinking. But all these principles, they all need the help of the Holy Spirit, don't they? We all need the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We waver. We need regularly to be recalibrated. There's not a single thing in this list of 12. We're up to 11. Next week's rest. Trust me, you need to be recalibrated on rest. Without you even knowing what I'm going to say, I can promise you we all need to be recalibrated on rest. Prayer, the Word of God, there's not a single thing we don't need recalibration for regularly. Have you ever steered your car and never moved it? Or do you constantly make slight adjustments? Of course. You cannot just drive like this. You will hit something. (laughs) Right? You will have to regularly calibrate your turns. And God's doing that with this whole discipleship mindset and saying, yes, they're all important, but it's these little changes God wants to do. We waver and we need this. The Spirit helps us snap out of ourselves, out of our selfishness, out of our fear, out of our apathy. And we'll kind of come in these final moments here. Generous, obedient, giving, time, talent, treasure. These things actually already belong to God. They only come about through Spirit-filled disciples. They only, we have to be a Spirit-filled disciple. It's not going to come about by us just kind of Uh, Just checking a few boxes. It has to be truly walking and talking with God. George Mueller's walk was fresh. It was vibrant. It was renewed day by day. And then it becomes lifestyle giving as opposed to, all right, I'm back to trying it again. I'll give it another shot. I'll try it for two weeks. It becomes lifestyle, part of our lifestyle. Last quote I have. Finding armies of people, this is in the book When Helping Hurts by Moody Press. Finding armies of people to volunteer one Saturday per year to paint dilapidated houses is easy. Finding people to love people day in and day out who live in those houses is extremely difficult. This is the kind of lifestyle giving Jesus wants us to have. It's not just about writing a check. It's not just about giving time at the Habitat for Humanity. It's becoming a vessel used by the Lord all the time. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you again for your continual love and reminder that you so love that you gave. And we want to follow you in that. We want to uh, obey you in that. We want to give, as it's been given to us, pressed down with good measure, Lord. You want to multiply the fruit of it that little kids would be touched. Elderly people would be helped. Those in the hospital will be visited. Those in foreign lands will hear the gospel. All of these things, Lord, in the needs in this room, we probably have the resource to meet a bunch of them that have yet to be met if we just yield and say, Lord, open my clenched fist or my clenched heart and help me to be generous, obedient, willing to give of my time, talent, and treasure as you have commanded and promised to bless